Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. Social media, social connection, social scientists. I feel like social everything is on everyone's mind and rightfully so. So in this episode, we find out how this brilliant businesswoman and entrepreneur started on her journey to attract and back the vision for social connection. Yep, we're talking about social connection. Today's guest on Brilliant Thoughts is Isa Watson. Now, Isa is a physical scientist turned social scientist and the co-founder and CEO of Squad, an app designed for the next generation's social connection tool. Do me a favor, download the app and get ready for this one. A lot of information and very fun. Welcome back, everybody. I've got Isa Watson with me, and this is going to be a very good episode of the Success Magazine podcast, Brilliant Thoughts. This is the first time we're talking, Isa, and I'm excited because I was reading all about you and a lot of things stand out. And I want people to get to know you because I was extremely impressed from what I read online. So very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Tristan. All right, let's get into it. You have this app, mm-hmm. this app called Squad. Is it Squad or Squad Voice? It's Squad. Squad. Yeah. All right. And it's it's kind of like a, a private social media between friends or business or Anybody you really want to share things with, tell me where that idea came from, because now I see a lot of people jumping in with apps. Some of them hit, some of them fail. Yours is awesome. Tell me where where the idea came from. Yeah. So the one thing I'll say about Squad first is as a contrast to social media, Squad is a place where we say, you know, you create a world for just you and your friends or people you want to talk to every day, up to 12 people. So that could be a coworker, but it's mostly just your friends, right? But, you know, where the idea came from was really this huge epidemic of loneliness in the millennial and Gen Z generations, right? So social media was created, what, 15 years ago? With the purpose of, quote unquote, connecting others, right? But what it morphed into was this personal branding tool where you were just flexing all the time. You were telling people about your pregnancies and your deliveries and not your miscarriages, your marriages and not your divorces, your Um, promotions and not your setbacks. And it became this like highlight reel that just amplified the loneliness that we were already experiencing. And so for me, you know, I noticed this and I had experienced it myself. You know, my parents were huge community leaders in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, And every year they sponsored a bus trip for kids to visit college. And a handful of years ago, the bus ran off a straight road, ejected both of my parents out the front window, and my dad didn't survive that. And so when I'm, you know, er like earlier in my career, just gunning for the next promotion, um, gunning for the next promotion, getting as many social media followers as I quote unquote can, you know, I have thousands of followers across multiple platforms. This was back Mm -hmm. when I was actually active on Instagram before I deleted it and reactivated it. I, it was the most lonely I had felt and most isolated I had felt. 
you know, and that was such a stark contrast to how I was being perceived in the world as someone with a lot of friends. But I wasn't really because I wasn't investing into my friendships. I wasn't receiving much from them. Right. And then when I started to actually talk about that and my experience with that. I realized that I wasn't, I was far from the only person that was experiencing this. And so it became clear to me that social was at an inflection point. We were moving away from wanting to stunt online and and posturing for likes all day to actually wanting to experience joy in our everyday friendships, but in a fun and easy way. And so that was the impetus for creating Squad. You know, it was a reaction to, you know, hey, there's this inflection point the needs are changing and evolving and people actually want to be able to have fun with their friends, but in a very simple and easy way every day. I mean, now that I'm hearing it, it sounds like that was probably the intent of social media in the first place to create what you created. It was the, it it wasn't the intent to create what I created. It was intent. It was the intent to have the impact that squad has had. Right. But social, here's the thing with social media, you know, platforms is that, you know, when you're venture backed and you're so focused on growing at all costs, then you do, you're just growing, growing, growing without a lot of intentionality around the habits that you're creating. Like we actually have um, user interviews every two weeks. So we're always asking our users about their psychology, their well-being um, in the app. Not that it's a mental health app at all, but it's an app for you and your friends. And you want to make sure that people feel comfortable in these worlds that they're creating in the app um, so that they can just have a happier, less lonely, more fulfilled life. That makes a lot of sense because sometimes when, when I'm posting to social, I feel like Sometimes I have this anxiety. I'm like, should I, should I post that? I, I mean, how are people going to respond? They may not understand me. I always have that. Like, not always. I sometimes have this fear in the back of my head. And I, when I was reading about squat, I was like, I would be totally gone. Yeah. I'm just, it's like if I'm just texting a friend. It's like, what's up? No judgment. They know you. They're not going to read into it. Right. right. Some so of the most I, personal things that my friends have revealed to me have been on squad. Also, everything deletes in 24 hours. So it's supposed to mimic a real life conversation. The reality is that, you know, when I'm talking to my friends, it doesn't live on the Internet <laughs> for, for the entirety yeah. of the Internet. Right. Um, so everything, all voice messages, all calls, everything deletes within 24 hours because that's how humans communicate. I love that. All right. So now I want to go through the process of from idea to actual creation. Take me through that. How did that happen? And did you team up with anybody to make it happen? I want to know the details. So tell me that. So first is that I was actually at JP Morgan. I was kind of a young rock star at the company, um, working directly with a lot of the C-suite executives. And so I had a very high profile job, but it, you know, I, And I led a lot of, you know, multi-billion dollar initiatives. But at the end of the day, you know, I always say that entrepreneurship is personal. And when it came to, you know, putting myself first and my purpose in life, which, you know, my father always said to me, he said, Isa, you're such a blessed girl. And it's your job to share your blessings with as many people as you can while you're on this planet. And it really dawned on me and hit me after he passed. And I was like, okay, I mean, I'm sitting here like, you know, adding some billions of dollars to the bottom line, you know, but is that what is really 
part of my purpose, part of my calling? Is that really part of my fulfillment? Um, and so I just kind of took the plunge and left to start squad. I had no funding. I had saved up enough money to just kind of live, <laughs> just kind of live a little bit. Um, took no salary for um, two years while I okay. worked to get this off the ground. And so um, the first thing I did was really just kind of prototype. I think that is really important. I tell entrepreneurs all the time. You don't necessarily need millions of dollars of funding to get started. What you need is validation of an idea. And um, mm. You know, I, I worked with like platforms like Envision and, and Figma and stuff like that to build mock-ups. And I would actually hand my phone to different types of people across different demographics and watch them go through the experience and watch them tell me what was valuable versus what was not, what was exciting to them, what was not. I read their body language. When do their eyes peak? When are their eyebrows raised, right? Um, and so then after that, I actually brought, like actually did seek funding, got the validation, built up a really strong engineering team to, uh, to, uh, build the app. Right. Um, and today, you know, we're venture backed and it's been a process. So one thing I will say is that I wouldn't say I was arrogant by any means going into going from wall street to, um, you know, to start a venture back company, but I was accomplished and I had demonstrated that I could actually tackle a lot of things. I was, you know, one of the youngest published chemists in the world at 19 years old. I was a, a data scientist and metabolic chemist at Pfizer. I am a Hampton University, Cornell and MIT grad. I, um, you know, I, I, and then I was at JP Morgan. And so I had demonstrated through multiple environments by my late twenties that I could actually get a lot of shit done. And the one thing I will say was that when I, when I went to Silicon Valley, you know, to even start talking to investors, start working those relationships, I was an outsider and that's a very insular place. So it took me hundreds hundreds of meetings for anyone to really, really take me seriously and create an opportunity. And finally, I got in, in front of like right handful of people that kind of ushered me in. And you fast forward a few years, now my reputation precedes me. Any investor I meet, they're like, oh, we've heard so much about you. We've heard so much about squad. But I think that, you know, being an entrepreneur, it's a hard thing, right? And so, you know, I, I spent a few years getting almost every door slammed in my face, telling me that this was not an idea, that social was already saturated. You know, Evan had it handled with Snap and Mark had it handled with uh, Facebook, Jack with Twitter, et cetera, and that there was no more room. But the reality is that, again, you know, I don't know if you saw that like fake MySpace that like popped up. They had like 100,000 users in like two days. People are looking for something new. And there we are. That's so true. There's there's plenty of space. Whoever told you that didn't understand social media at all. <laughs> no, they, they, and this is what I tell people. Investors never understand as, as much about your business as you do. I tell entrepreneurs that all the time. They can be a tool in your toolkit, but don't let them like tell you that they know better than you because we're living this like every that. day. That's true. That's all right. So what kept you going after getting rejected over and over again? I think I have, you know, over the course of my life, I, I'm a little bit of a, I was a little bit of a weird kid. So I was always told that's weird. You can't do that. You know, I skipped two grades. I just all of the things, right. And, and eventually that made me become a negatively motivated person which means that if you tell me I can't do something, then that's when all my power uh, <laughs> ignites. And I say, okay, I'm going to show you. 
that's cool. And you, your disbelief in me, that's your business. And I, I refuse to absorb that doubt. And, you know, I, I had, I'm not going to lie to you. Like it took a lot of work. It took a village of people around me to help keep me grounded, to help not let me sink too much mentally. It took my therapist to help her to, to help me balance the feedback that I was getting, right? Because on one side from investors, I'm getting, oh, this one ever worked, da, 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 da. Oh, actually, you didn't go to Stanford and major in computer science. I'm like, no, I majored in chemistry. Like, I have a math degree. I also have an economics degree. So what's up? Oh, but you didn't go to Harvard and major in computer science. Okay, cool. It was everything that I didn't have, right? The focus of that. And you know, so I'm here having my users be like, oh my God, I love this. This is great. Like, da, da, da. this is what I'm doing. This is how I changed my life. And then have investors being like, that, like this sucks. Um, you know, I chose to listen to my users and listen to the people whose lives we were changing on the ground as opposed to, because that's the choice, right? You know, if, if <laughs> you know, Donald Trump tells me I'm stupid, like I have a choice to not listen to him and I wouldn't, you know, <laughs> because that's not, I don't respect him. So, um, you know, and, and so I, I think that it was really about the village. It was really about, you know, staying grounded and centered, you know, and I, when I tell you I engaged in so much self-care, I was meditating three times a week in the morning. I was working out more. I was investing in me. Um, I, I wouldn't have been able to get through that period if I didn't balance that. And I think it's something that far too many entrepreneurs do not talk about. The struggle is real behind the scenes and the investment that you have to make in you is huge. All right, let's talk about the key people in your village. Who were those key people in your village? I would say, you know, it was a mix of friends and mentors. So, you know, on, on, my, on my friendship side, you know, I had a number of friends, like my friend, um, Kristen, for instance, she's also been in very high profile roles. She was a very close, um, you know, employee of the Obamas for a long time. So she knows what that pressure feels like. She knows what, you know, the hard navigation of things feels like. And she was always there to like, she could hear it in my tone. If I was down, she could see it. She can feel the tone in my text when I was down, but she was always there to lift me up and remind me that I am that person, you know, I'm, I, I'm solid, you know, and quite frankly, I think that people are always looking to these North star people and saying like, Oh, this really famous person helped me. But also like, let me tell you and keep it real. My hairstylist sitting in his chair every two weeks for like 10 years, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that's on my heart and my spirit that comes out. And one of the things that he taught me, and he, he said, Isa, don't let these people make you question your worth. Do not let these people make you question your worth. You know what you're doing. You know the path you're on and you don't need their validation. And so, you know, those types of friendships that were very, you know, highly bi-directional, very empathetic. Like the thing that I needed the most was empathy. And I gravitated towards empathetic people and away from non-empathetic people. Cause there were definitely friends that I pushed out of my village. Um, and then I would say a handful of mentors. Like, you know, one of my close mentors is this uh, lady named Carla Harris, who's the vice chairman of Morgan Stanley. And Carla was one of my close mentors since my early JP Morgan days. And Carla was always there to like, she would text me, I said, I haven't heard from you. What's going on? Tell me, what do you need? You know? Mm. Um, 
And the same thing with, you know, one of my other mentors who I call like an auntie, Fashanda Duckett, who was the CEO of TIAA. You know, we also became very close in her JP Morgan Chase days. We were both there. Um, and, you know, she will take me to dinner and be like, talk to me. Like, what's on your spirit? What's on your heart? How can I like help you? And every time I left those conversations, I felt so much more. I, I went there like completely under the water, like not even under the water, like at the mm-hmm. bottom of the ocean. And, like, <laughs> okay. and I left there on a plane. <laughs> wow. So, so you, yeah. you need those yeah. people. Exactly. Okay. Question about that. Did you ever find yourself at a place where you're like, I'm done. This is it. I just don't want to do this anymore. This is just too much. I've had thoughts of, were these people actually right? And I wasn't the right person to do this, or I didn't have the right team around me. But I would say those were very transient, like feelings, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't have them in any sustained way. And I, I, like I said, I do think that it's, it's okay to doubt yourself. I, I won't name yeah. names, but I have a number of billionaire investors who are billionaires from the companies that they founded. And all, oftentimes they told me, Isaac, like you have no idea how many times I tried to quit. <laughs> and, um, you know, there are definitely times I, I, I had my doubt, but not for any, you know, super sustained period. But I, I would say, especially during the pandemic, when there was so much uncertainty and mm-hmm. I couldn't even see a, a day ahead. Right. I was just navigating one day at a time. That was probably my lowest moment of being an entrepreneur where I was like the closest to, is this really it? Um, I came out on the other side of that significantly stronger, revived, refreshed. Um, But I I absolutely think that it is normal and quite frankly, okay for people to feel that. All right. And what what do you think has been the key for you to be able to adapt so quickly to to changes through through positive and negative changes so that it you're still grounded and you still stick to that vision that you have? I think it was actually my parents and the way that I was raised. You know, I was raised in this kind of Caribbean immigrant household and my parents were always, you know, there, there's there's a lot of benefits that come with that. And then there are things that, you know, as an adult, you have to unlearn, right? Uh, <laughs> and yes. so, um, yes. you know, my parents were always the ones that were, you know, I fall down, they're like, oh, that's, that's no problem. Just get back up and fix it. Or, you know, I, I made a mistake. Oh, well, you'll, you'll figure it out, you know? And so I just really had this knack of figuring it out. Um, and then quite frankly, even growing up, let's take my second grade to my ninth grade years. Um, keep in mind, one of those grades I didn't, I skipped, um, you know, I would do like a biology summer camp, then a chemistry summer camp, then an aerospace engineering summer camp, then an electrical engineering summer camp. I was, my parents always put me in very different situations. And they always taught me that, you know, my growth and my capacity to succeed was going to be based on my capacity to learn. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that change is inevitable. Pivots are inevitable. And if I say, you know, my philosophy is like, you kind of pivot or you die, right? Um, You know, a lot of businesses have a hard time pivoting and uh, nearly every successful business at scale has pivoted. Most people don't talk about the fact that Groupon started as a charity donation site or YouTube was a dating platform Mm -hmm. or Slack Mm -hmm. was a gaming company. Everybody pivots. And so I think my parents were, you know, as as, as people who had 
growing up in different environments, come to, you know, drop on land in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, um, and research Triangle Park, they had experienced a lot of change in their own lives. And they saw the value of being able to adapt. And so they just really, really nailed that into me as a child. So it was a very, 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 very early habit that I developed. Right. I like that. And how did you end up going from chemistry to finance? And how did you end up choosing more of the business side? I never thought I would be in finance. In fact, as a chemist, I was like, finance, oh my God, those are the people that dress up and talk and they <laughs> act like they sound they smart. They, they you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, as a chemist, I was a discovery researcher. Um, a discovery chemist. And so what that means is that I am I was the person conceptualizing the earliest structures of new diabetes treatments. Now, the process that that would have to go through requires 15 more years of R&D. And so I while I loved being in a lab, the one thing that kind of weighed on me over time is that it just felt a little lonely. Um, and it's a long feedback cycle. You're working on something, putting your blood, sweat, and tears into something one day, and you're like, I'm not going to get any feedback for 15 years. Like, that's just a, <laughs> like, right now I'm in tech and I can deploy like a feature and I'll see if, if users are adapting to it within like five minutes of it being deployed, right? Uh, uh, yes. And so I said to myself, I said, you know, this is interesting. I, I, I want to go into the business side of pharma because I think it got greater impact. So I actually left um, Pfizer after, you know, also studying pharmacology and uh, neuropsychopharmacology at Cornell um, and got my MBA at MIT with the intention of going back to pharma. And so when I got to MIT, I will say this um, I say this is very uh, true for immigrants. It's also very true for women. I boxed my own self in. I said, you know what? All I have is a science degree. All I have are a few science degrees. So, you know, Goldman, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, McKinsey, they would never be interested in my background because I'm just a scientist. I don't have that two years of being in the Goldman Analyst Program. And the, and the funny thing is that when I went to MIT and, you know, we started to get recruited by a lot of these top firms, I like I was shocked by how much the McKinsey, the Baines, the BCGs or the, the Wall Street firms were, you know, reaching out to me being like, we are obsessed with your background. I was like, I'm just a chemist. Right. And yeah. so I, I had this self-deprecating thing that, you know, a few people called me out on a few recruiters. They were like, why would you say that? Like, first of all, why would you say that out loud <laughs> to, to us? Like, second of all, you know, know your worth and know that, you know, there's a lot of transferable skills and being a yeah. chemist and being a data scientist. There's a lot of analytics. There's a lot of scientific thought. There's a lot of logic that can, tra can translate to, and there's a lot of building, like a building nature that can translate to a lot of other things. So long story short, I, it kind of boiled down to two offers. I, I narrowed it down to two offers for me. One was at um, Merck, you know, revamping their uh, vaccine distribution strategy across China and India, which I was really excited about. And I would be working very, like reporting very high up in the organization. Yeah. And, the, and the other one was at JP Morgan, um, where I would be part of this program that Jamie Dimon had created to help build a pipeline of general managers because you know jamie jamie grew up in a very general management type of way and his view was that you know people are growing a very niche on wall street like you do mid-cap health equities for 20 years like he was like why can't you kind of move around a little more 
Um, and so it was, it was rotational in nature for the first few years. And so I, I like in my first world, like agony, <laughs> I, I called up one of my mentors and I, to grab dinner. His name is Ray Gil Martin, who he was actually the CEO of Merck. Um, wow. For many years. I think he retired in like the late, like 2009, 2008, something like that. And I sat down with Ray and I said, Ray, listen, I was like, I have, you know, I came from science, right? I have this opportunity. And Ray was the adjunct professor at Harvard at the time. So it was easy for us to meet up. He had come lectured. He was friends of my professors, et cetera. So Ray sat to me, he said, Isa, listen, he said, you, yes, you have a scientific background. You're very smart. You've shown that you can adapt, right? He was like, you can always come back to pharma. He was like, why not spread your wings a little bit and like try out the whole Wall Street thing for a little bit. And if you want to come back to pharma, we'll make that happen. No problem. And I was like, okay, right. I was like, simple as that. And he was like, simple as that. And so I signed my offer with JP Morgan and was off to the races, but I had literally no finance experience. I had studied economics at MIT, but you know, be, studying economics at MIT, which is a very theoretical school, um, and, and, and actually doing chemistry on the ground is, is not necessarily the, the typical track to get you in J.P. Morgan. All right. So how did you get over that, that thing that you were doing to yourself where you were boxing yourself in? How did you get over that finally? Or I, I know for everybody, it kind of creeps in still a little bit, but how did you mm-hmm. get over the majority of that? I had people pull me aside and call me out on my bullshit. Um, and tell me that like I was doing more harm to myself coming and, and, and saying those types of things or even having those types of thoughts. You know, um, I had, you know, one of my mentors tell me that, you know, the limitations that I put on myself are the limitations that other people are going to see. Mm. And the, the vision that I have for myself is the vision that other people are going to see. So do I want to have a, a, a high vision feature or do I want to have this limited box feature? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was, so it was just like, it was just a handful of pep talks. And I think some of the women recruiters and women mentors that I had saw that self-deprecation in me and identified with it as something that they had done themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was easy for them to see it in me and, you know, just be like, hey, you know what? you're actually more talented than you think you need to give yourself more credit. Got it. I think that that's a common, that's a common problem all throughout. It's a very, so I'm glad you brought that up. That's that's very important. So I I really love that you switched over, but you sat down with your mentor and your mentor is like, dude, why haven't you done it already? Just do it. Sometimes we need that person to tell us, right? And the thing I've been really fortunate of is just having really good people in my corner. Um, And it's not for anything other than the fact that when I show up and I've been in the same rooms with these people who some of these people I've never would have dreamed of being in the same room with, my rule of thumb is I just always show up as myself. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not out here like telling you I went to this school, that school. Like I'm just out here myself as myself and we'll talk about your kids playing lacrosse or we'll talk about your vacation in Sicily before we actually get to the meat of actually what we do and I find that connecting with people on a genuine level has just and it's actually what I want to do but it's actually just served me well and you know having people be invested in me and my success all right that's I love that I could tell that by the way when I'm just talking to you I'm like oh 
it just it feels so good. By the way. <laughs> so let, let's talk about squad. Are you are you seeing that the users are using it like you envisioned, or has there been a change that you didn't anticipate? Definitely a change that we didn't anticipate. Um, so the full story with kind of pre-pandemic squad versus post-pandemic, you know, or end of pandemic squad is that we did go through a pivot, right? And when squad was first created, it was to help people get together offline. So it was about finding um, groups of people in your locale to hang out with, to go to events with, and they were all kind of curated by squad or curated by people who were members. And the one thing that we found was that, you know, so to drive that point home, we were positioning squad as more of a discovery tool. Mm. Find the friends that you, you know, want to hang out with and, and want to experience life with. But what we found was that users, and this was actually like right at the beginning of the pandemic, users started to, instead of going to different types of events, even even when we changed them to virtual, et cetera, instead of going to different types of events and and letting the event drive their signup, they were actually just going to the events with the people that they had already been to events with and had met. And so we saw this, this inkling and this desire to be more consistent and go deep with with people who they already knew Mm. rather than discovering new people. And so, you know, after doing a lot of experimentation and doing a lot of user studies on that, the one thing that became clear was that as a human today, we are inundated with discovery tools. Mm -hmm. I can find 300 million people on Twitter. I can find a billion people on Facebook but what like so much so that we were kind of neglecting our actual relationships for the sake of being able to say, I met this new person. I did this new thing, Mm. which over time becomes exhausting because a true friendship is one where you pour in and receive when you're in discovery mode all the time, all you're doing is pouring out because people don't know you well enough to pour into you. Yeah. And so people, people were in this perpetual um, state of exhaustion. And they were like, I don't want to be in in any more new people. I just want to like hang out with my friends and make it easy, but we're all busy. Or I said, I was going to call my friend um, and this weekend, but, oh, I didn't get around to it. Well, what were you doing? I said, oh, I was binging the show on Hulu, you know? So it was really about like, we had just like, acquired these passive habits of not being intentional around maintaining connection. And that ended up being like the huge white space right there. And so the difference between what we thought is you wanted to bring genuine connection and what we, what we learned is that, you know, the people don't need new friends. They just need an easy, safe, private and kind of Mm -hmm. habit inducing way to go deeper with a handful of friends that they already have. I love that. It, you know what? I'm thinking it makes sense that Messenger works so well you know, in groups and, and texting on the iPhone where you can group your tech, your, your family, friends all together. That's why it works so well. Makes total sense. 
Well, the thing I'll say about Messenger is that, you know, there's a dynamic to all social media use, including Messenger, that is called the 1990 rule. Um, and it's not as dramatic on Messenger, but the 1990 rule dictates that only 1% of social media users are um, creating content with any regularity. 9% uh, lightly engaged, so they'll comment, they'll repost, they'll share, but 90% of social media users are complete lurkers. They don't engage with any content and just consume the content. So true. <laughs> it's like literally proven. And when you have a group chat together with somebody, like, you know, a group of people, they may be your friends, but they're not all friends with each other. And so they're not going to show up as their true authentic selves in that, in that static group chat in the group chat where it is a fixed finite set of members. Whereas with squad, you can think of it as up to 12 one-on-one -on -one relationships. So everyone that is invited into your squad, you're in their squad and it's, it's 12 people dynamically built around you. So if, if I'm in your squad, Tristan, and mm. I'm also in like Barack squad and y'all don't know each other, y'all would never see each other on the platform. You know, it would just be, it's, it's really about you know, engaging with the people dynamically that you want to engage with, not forced social situations. Like I have a brother, for example, he never, he is, I have five siblings, you know, my father passed away, my mom, my mom is here, but so five siblings plus my mom, that's, uh, you know, six other people in the group chat. I have one brother, he never says anything in a group chat, like once a quarter. <laughs> and this group chat is popping every single day. Once a quarter, my brother may say, LOL. And we were like, oh, yo, he's alive. And that's just because he doesn't, he, that's not his jam to like, talk, even though we're all his siblings <laughs> or his mom, um, but he talks to me on squad every day, you know? And so when you think about, you know, building the right social dynamics, it's a social and sense of belonging that you get from social interactions only work if it's a participatory system, right? I mean, quite frankly, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a, if the IRS was like 90% of y'all mofos don't have to pay your taxes, I would say sign me up, right? There is not any system in the world where 90% of people do not participate, but it's called a working system, right? And so... Um, that's the one thing, that's the one nuance I would say about squad is that it's, it's the only system right now that exists that's truly, truly participatory because yeah. you have to in order to build your squad. But I'm in a ton of WhatsApp groups that go off every day and I never say anything in those. Yeah, me too. I, I, I get what you're saying. Good point. All right. Question about social media in general. What, what would you say are the keys to building a great social media environment? So the first thing is elevated awareness around how social media makes you feel, right? I think that we've become so used to this endless scroll. We just get in our beds and we doom scroll. Mm. Right on the subway, we doom scroll. We get in the back of an Uber, we just doom scroll. We're waiting for a friend at a restaurant, we just doom scroll, right? But do I feel better about myself after that? Or do I feel worse about myself? And studies show that especially young girls, feel a lot worse about themselves because you're comparing your messy life to someone's highlight reel. So I think that, you know, it's really, really important um, for people to kind of understand, all right, social media is not necessarily my life. It's just a tool for me to be entertained, right? 
Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that I would say to leverage the connection features more, like those are the DM features. Those are the, you know, where you're actually engaging one-on-one with someone as opposed to just consuming their highlight reel. If Michael Jordan compared his full career to Kobe Bryant's highlight reel, he would feel really shitty about himself. That's just facts. Um, and like so, that. yeah. And the other thing I'll say is that, you know, my favorite psychologist is this lady named Dr. Brene Brown. I don't know if you've heard of her. Yeah, she's dope. And she has done a lot of study around vulnerability. And, and, and one of the things that she says is, you know, we live in this world of scarcity. The first thing we think about when we go to bed at night is that, man, I didn't get enough work done. The first thing we think about when we wake up in the morning is, man, I didn't get enough sleep. We are in this perpetual feeling of it's never enough. And social media, consuming someone's highlight reels, doesn't make it any easier to feel like enough. And so I always encourage people, before you go to bed, an hour after you wake up, an hour before you go to bed, an hour after you wake up, stay off social media. You know, allow yourself to transition into your kind of resting place. Get grounded. Get grounded with your day. Start your day. Drink a cup of water with lemon or whatever you need to do. Do your workout and then um, get on. Because if we're, we're, if we're in that scarcity mindset and you compound that with the consumption of people's highlight reels, that just amplifies all of these negative emotions and impacts, you know, that, that we have. And so those are, those are the three things I would say. I would say elevated self-awareness. Um, mm -hmm. If we're going to use it, like just actually make sure that we're DMing our friends um, yeah. because people, most people will tell you they don't actually use social media. To connect. No, one talks to, no one talks to their friends on social media. <laughs> and that's why it's also so lonely. Um, and then the third one is that separation, you know, at, at the end of your day and at the top of your day, just to make sure you're, you're starting off as grounded as possible and you're going to sleep as grounded as possible. I like that. I like you kind of set boundaries there. I love that. A hundred boundaries is like my new love language. Um, <laughs> it's my new. That, love that's language. your next book there. Boundaries <laughs> is my love. I love that. That's yeah. a great title. Boundaries is my new love language. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. All right. Where do you think social media is heading? How, how do you think it changes over the next couple? It's a hard question to answer, but how do you think it changes over the next few years? Right now, I think that there's a common understanding of what social media is. And, you know, there's a common experience that you see through the different social media apps. And I think there's going to be a diverging of that because where they sit centrally right now is not an experience that uh, the majority of people are getting joy from or happily connecting with. It's, it's, it's one of the habits. It's a habit that people have developed, right? Um, almost like biting your nails, right? Or almost like speeding through the streets like my mom does, right? <laughs> and so it's just, it's just a habit. It's not necessarily a destination for joy. And so I think that, you know, if you look at Snap and the way they're talking, they're looking at going more the AR, VR route. I think that's going to be more of their jam in five years. If you look at Facebook and where they're going, they're, they're talking about more of the metaverse route. I think that's going to be their jam. And if you look at Twitter and where they're going, that, you know, I think that they'll change the way that conversations happen between strangers, right? And so it's not this one central, oh, connection. I think it'll be a, 
a, a myriad of experiences that's very different that they'll have to shift to in order to just survive. And of course, you know, you have squad where that's where people really are connected with their friends. Got it. So yours is set for people that truly want to connect at, at, a, at a deeper level, which makes a, a lot of sense. And a consistent level, right? So it's like, I, I cannot tell you the number of times, Tristan, that I've asked somebody in our user interviews or keep in mind, you know, our initial, like our, our biggest, our biggest user base is 18 and 35. Um, you know, in our user interviews, I say, when's the last time you talked to your best friend? I can't tell you the number of times people have been like, oh, I don't know, two months, three months. Actually, we were supposed to have a, like a catch up and like, you know, that whole getting over the hump of making the action to sustain the connection is yeah. something that we're so bad at in part because technology has given us this instant gratification expectation of everything. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. All right. So you mentioned Facebook or, or Meta, you mentioned Twitter yeah. and you, you did mention TikTok. What do you think happens with TikTok? Yeah, I think TikTok, you know, it's really interesting. People, when you talk to investors, they're like, okay, is, is your app going to take away from the time that people are spending on TikTok or Facebook or whatever? Mm -hmm. TikTok is more of an entertainment platform now. And I think TikTok is going to continue to go there. So it's not the other social media apps that have to be worried about TikTok. It's the Hulus. It's the Netflix. It's the... Um, you know, the, the, the Disney Plus and HBO Maxes of the world. People are using TikTok as their as short form entertainment um, as opposed to the longer form traditional entertainment that we see in TV shows, movies, et cetera. And so I think that TikTok is going to continue to go over to the short form entertainment, entertainment space. And quite frankly, I think it may even, um, this is just my prediction. I don't, I don't talk to the executives at TikTok, but um, I think, you know, uh, what was that? What was that uh, app that was a Quizby Quibby? Um, that the the Hollywood short form app um, that shut down. It started up, raised two billion dollars, and shut down after like six months. Yes, I remember it. I don't remember the name though. Yes, I remember that. Um, it's, it's, it starts with a Q, but I think that TikTok will, will even start doing more short form content, allowing influencers to have like mini shows on um when I say mini I mean M-I-N-I -I, <laughs> mini shows on TikTok, on TikTok etc but I think yeah. it's going to um like I said evolve into a, a, a entertainment platform in a way that no, no other platform can compare um it was Quibi Quibi yeah, yeah exactly you got Quibi. it all right so that's interesting and, and you said something that, that makes a lot of sense with a lot of people saying that TikTok is going to bring down Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. And, but I think you, you're right. I think what we really need to be looking at is how many people are they going to take away from Netflix, from, yep. from HBO, from yep. Hulu? You're so right on that. I agree with you. People that, love that, the drama and theatrics. I'm like, oh, that's going to take down that. Oh, that's the thing, you know, but the reality so is that everything has a little space. You know, it is like, is that thing going to evolve to find its niche? Yeah, I agree with you. All right. What about YouTube? Since we're talking about everybody, what, <laughs> where, where do you see YouTube? I, I think YouTube is still very powerful in the educational content, right? So YouTube does really well in the kind of evergreen content, how to cornrow my hair, 
how to get these uh, freckles off my off my legs or, you know, <laughs> and so I think there's an element of that that's going to um, stay. And I also think, you know, just kind of the long form entertainment content. Um, I, I think that just TikTok delivers it in a much more um, a, a way that just resonates with some of the the, the Gen Zers, quite frankly. Um, and quite frankly, you see 10 year olds on TikTok now, <laughs> you I know. know? Yeah, it's actually a little scary, <laughs> but um, I think they, they, they they'll own that space. Um, but I still think, you know, YouTube is actually today the most used social media platform across all generations, hands down. And so um, it'll it'll continue to I think it'll continue to just kind of coast uh, in that way. Um, but they have a lot of great evergreen content uh, when you're especially when you're looking at the how to's. Yeah, I agree. All right. So what's next for squad? Like the things that you can tell me. Right. What's next for you guys? Yeah. So have you heard of Roblox? Or yes. Roblox yeah, of course. I've, yeah. I, I, I've heard of Roblox. I play it sometimes too with my son. So yeah. Go. Dad, can I get some Roblox dollars? Um, <laughs> exactly. So we have, the truth is, the truth of the matter is that, you know, we're so used to talking about world building in the, um, in the spirit of visual type of, experiences and dynamics mm -hmm. but um they're and, and quite frankly the younger generations love the whole concept of world world building and being able to customize their world yeah but with squad you know one of the things that we are moving towards is you know squad is a voice only platform and the reason we chose voice as a medium is not that we were like oh we want to be this audio platform that wasn't it it was really based on feedback from our users who um who just, we found that voice was the easy medium of having genuine connection and not a lot of misunderstandings. I can't, I've gotten into easy. unnecessary fights via text um, because neither one of us just picked up the phone. <laughs> um, yes, and then, yes. you know, there's not the pressure of being on camera. Like I talked to my best friend, I talked to you five o'clock every morning. Like we like squat each other at five o'clock every morning. Like, you know, I'm not gonna be on camera at five o'clock in the morning, no ma'am. And so, you know, it, it voice was that medium. And so when you think about audio, you know, we are, we are evolving squad into kind of an audio world building tool. So when you think about, um, you know, your vibe of the day, when you think about the experiences of your friends actually reacting to the things that you say that are funny, or my brother has this, like this uh, thing he says to me every Monday, he goes, yep, yep. And I know exactly what he means. He's like, yo, kick ass this week. And I love that. Right. And so building in those kind of custom reactions that from our friends, building in the, you know, the vibes, you know, via music and allowing people to customize their world, but in a very auditory way, that's fun mm. and easy. That's where squad is heading. I love that. And you yeah. know what, when you said the thing about just texting and then not really understanding what the other person's saying, I don't know if you've ever seen Kay and Peel's comedy take on texting back and forth to each other. Mm -mm. Oh, okay. I'm, I'll text it over to you once we're done. Okay. You're going <laughs> to love, you're gonna love it. So it just reminded me of that because you don't have that with squad. No. You can totally hear the tonality and the energy or the lack of energy or the calmness. Exactly. So, I love it. So thank you for being on. This was awesome. I took, I think I took the most notes out of anybody I've interviewed and I've interviewed some awesome people. So um, 
So you are amazing. Thank you for, for coming on and doing this. And we appreciate you. We'll let you know when this goes out too. So thanks for being on. Thanks for having me, Justin. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.